may like to turn to our reading from Luke's Gospel, which is on page 997 in the New Testament section of what I still almost find myself calling the Pew Bibles, the Church Bibles. Travelling by train last Sunday through Cambridgeshire, we approached Ely and saw its cathedral. The ship of the Fens, as it is known locally, it has stood for centuries, magnificent, it looked as if it might stand forever. Other mighty buildings may come to our minds. York Minster, Durham Cathedral, St Paul's Cathedral, Buckingham Palace, the Houses of Parliament, even the relatively humble building in which we worship week by week is Grade 2 listed. The disciples were impressed by Jerusalem's temple. Verse 5, look at its beautiful stones and the gifts. The parallel passage in Mark's Gospel. What massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Our Lord Jesus Christ was not thus impressed. Verse 6, not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. The Roman army was to do just that in the siege of Jerusalem 40 or so years later in AD 70. The disciples were taken aback that permanence was such an illusion They asked Jesus about it and, according to Matthew, asked him also about his coming again and the end of the age. And Jesus begins what is sometimes called the prophetic discourse. It's recorded with quite a few differences by Matthew, by Mark and by Luke. And in it, Jesus, only days from his crucifixion, speaks about things that are to come. His words applied to his immediate hearers and followers. But we who follow Jesus 2,000 years later must also hear and heed his words. Not least on this Sunday as we remember so many who gave their lives, especially in the two great wars. Our reading this morning is about the first half of this discourse, these words of Jesus. And in it he speaks of spiritual deception, of war, of earthquakes, famine, pestilence, persecution and the section ends with Jesus's call to us to patience and steadfastness stand firm 
and you will win life. Verse 19. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. With the usual health warnings about statistics and accepting that even approximations are impossible, estimates vary wildly, a few figures. The World War I death toll may have been in the region of 10 million. That of World War II, probably not fewer than about 50 million. A middle estimate figure for losses in the Iraq wars, about half a million lives prematurely lost. To take another conflict in another part of the world, the Rwandan genocide in the 1990s, perhaps a million died, bearing in mind that the 1993 population of that country was about 6.3 million. The names on the war memorial behind me are a reminder, if we need one, that every death is personal. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Earthquakes, famines and pestilences. We are well aware that the COVID death toll, and it's likely to be a considerable underestimate, has passed 5 million worldwide. How many lives were prematurely ended by the so-called Spanish flu in 1918 and the year or two after? The immensely various estimates are between about 20 and about 50 million. The relative footnote, which is the 1957 flu pandemic, accounted for 2 million or so lives. The death toll from malaria has thankfully been declining in recent years, albeit slowly, but it presently kills about 400,000 each year, and many of those are children. Earthquakes, famines, pestilences. Persecution, you will be betrayed, says Jesus, by parents, brothers, sisters, relatives and friends and they will put some of you to death. The estimate of one charity working in the field is that someone dies specifically because they are a follower of Jesus Christ every two hours. That equates to approximately 4,000 each year. We may all remember the bombings on Easter Sunday 2019 in Sri Lanka where 267, many but not all, were Christian worshippers and those people were blown up. We may also recall, to give just one other solitary example, the murder of an 85-year-old Roman Catholic priest in his church building in Normandy in 2016. There are many countries where it is truly dangerous, truly dangerous 
to be a Christian. According to the watch list maintained by Open Doors UK, the most dangerous country of all in which to be a Christian remains North Korea. Persecution. These words of Jesus do not, apart from the siege of Jerusalem itself, predict specific wars or pandemics or persecutions. Uh, they rather say this is the sort of thing that you can expect, that we can expect. This may seem to us to be pessimistic and even hopeless. But assuredly, Jesus said these things to help and comfort and bless his people, to help and comfort and bless us in 2021 as he intended them to help and comfort and bless his immediate hearers. This world, this earth, is a place of very much suffering and difficulty and sorrow. And if we take to heart Jesus' teaching, this should not surprise or alarm us. A quotation from an Anglican bishop, and I've deliberately taken something written quite some years ago before the appalling events of the last hundred plus years. This was written by Bishop Ryle, Bishop of Liverpool, in 1887. And he is commenting on these words as they appear in the parallel passage in Matthew's Gospel. And Bishop Ryle, in 1887, said this, We are not to expect a reign of universal peace, happiness and prosperity before the end comes. If we do, we shall be greatly deceived. Our Lord bids us look for wars, famines, pestilence and persecutions. It is vain to expect peace until the Prince of Peace returns. Then and not till then, swords shall be beaten into plowshares and nations learn war no more. These themes in Jesus' prophetic discourse, these terrible themes, link with Paul's letter to the Romans, which we are looking at on Sundays week by week, both in the morning and the evening. Last Sunday, David, our vicar, preached on Romans chapter 5, in which Paul rejoices that the Christian is put right with God, justified by faith in Jesus Christ, who died for us sinners. We know God's grace, therefore, his love which we do not deserve. We know God's grace in Christ. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. But uh, and here is the paradox and the link to this morning's passage. Paul says we also glory in our sufferings. For suffering produces in God's mercy good things. Perseverance, character, hope. 
not an easy lesson. But in this broken world and groaning creation, for the Christian and indeed for everyone, suffering and difficulty and sorrow and the end of earthly life are inevitable. But for the Christian, whose faith and hope is in Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and returning, these things do not have the last word. Just a comment on verse 8, where Jesus says, Watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming I am he. The time is near. Do not follow them. The many sorrows of life might tempt us to think that Jesus Christ is somehow not the one that we need. That there is salvation and life, purpose and peace somewhere else or in someone else. I suspect that for us the danger may lie less in a person who makes a messianic claim than in the material world and the material worldview, which is the very air that we breathe. Remember the rich fool. There was no salvation in his great barns of grain. Remember Dives and Lazarus, the rich man and Lazarus. There was no salvation in the rich man's purple, fine linen and rich food. Now, our passage this morning ends with a sharp challenge. Jesus confronts us with these words, Stand firm and you will win life. Stand firm in faith in Jesus Christ, in hope in him, in love, love for God, for neighbour, for each other. As we think of war and its terrible toll, nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom, let us remember that the same Jesus who said these things also pronounced blessing on peacemakers. They shall be called children of God. Let us remember also that when Jesus himself was on the point of arrest, his disciple Peter cut off the high priest's servant's right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And Jesus's words to Peter were, put your sword away. Let us always pray for peace, pray for those who work for peace. Let us seek to promote peace as far as we are able, wherever we have influence, small and very localised, though that might well be. As we think of disease and disaster, earthquake, famine and pestilence, 
let us remember that the same Lord Jesus who told us to expect these things had authority over wind and waves, that he multiplied food for 5,000, that he healed the sick. He healed the sick. So let us always pray for healing of body, of mind, healing for our injured souls, and pray for and support as we can all whose work is healing and in bringing relief and help to those who suffer. Let us look for and pray for each other's wholeness, each other's bodily and spiritual, and yes, even each other's eternal good. And as we think of persecution, let us pray for persecuted Christians, for all who suffer unjustly. And in obedience to Christ, specific obedience to him, let us pray for those who persecute. And let us remember that we follow one who himself was hated arrested by men with torches, lanterns and weapons, tried without justice and crucified for the sins of the world. Crucified for your sins and for mine. When we share in Holy Communion, we affirm together, we acclaim together, Christ has died Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And in the face of all, let us stand firm in that faith, that hope, and that love. Amen.